Hello, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of January 23, 2012. This is episode 135. I'm Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me are co-hosts... Jackie Ritaco, a co-coordinator with Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Pretty Back good. in studio... Back we haven't studio. had a remote show for a while, have we? Been That's no, okay. you know, I've been, I, you know, I was, I was uh, off for the last couple of weeks on my second job. Um, I'm a captain, an Italian captain of cruise ships. <laughs> you and, have some free time uh, now. It sounds I had, like. I have, yeah, I had a little incident that I uh, decided to <laughs> decide to leave for a while. You probably shouldn't laugh you know? at that, considering people. I, you're right. Died. The captain is hysterical, how inept and. Yeah, horrific and Did cowardly. You also, re- yeah, the cowardly thing is what took me back because I was, I mean. He was the first one to jump ship, essentially. Not the first, but, but pretty damn among. close. <laughs> and the and the Coast Guard was yelling at or whoever it was was yelling at him literally he's to get like, back on the ship. He's like, "It's dark out here." He's like, <laughs> "Yeah, they, they're like they like." There's a man, transcript of, yeah. of the of conversation between the Coast Guard and him, and they were like yelling at him yeah. over and over. You get back on that ship now, and he's yeah. like. He's like, it's it's cold out and it's it's dark, and then the, the coast guard's like, there's already at least one, you know, dead person, and the captain's like, somebody died. There's dead people, and the, and the he goes, the coast guard's like, one that I know of. He's like, and by the way, you should be telling me that. You should be on the boat. Yeah, that's what he's like. You you want to go home? He was just ripping him. It was awesome. You want to go home? You think you're getting Good. off of this? Yeah. He's like, I will make sure that you get in big trouble. I'm not going to let this go. You get yeah. back on that ship. I'm just having flashbacks or like what was going through my head is that scene from Titanic Yeah, with the, totally. it, was, it wasn't the captain of the ship, but it was like the builders or someone. It wasn't even the builder. He, no, like was went, the bad he went down with the ship. It was one of yeah, but they were like just being slimy to get yeah. into those life rafts and get off right away. It was yeah. like, oh, man. and some of the video that's come off of, of the people inside. It, it, I mean, I start getting a little panicked when I see it. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. hordes of people in one of those skinny little cruise ship hallways. Yeah. You've got like two guys that are like blocking them from going outside. It's dark. They're screaming. The ship's tilting. Oh my gosh, claustrophobia nightmare. Totally, oh, and yeah. you know, just think if you're Ew. on there like with your kids, and also like Titanic, they're telling them to go back to their cabins. It's like yeah. nothing's wrong. Go back to your cabins. Yeah, nothing to see here. Is that why <laughs> Titanic's disperse. been all over the news then too? Maybe. Well, yeah, a yeah, lot of it, yeah. and it tilted <laughs> so that literally people were like walking on the. Yeah, the and ceiling. they were making like a human chain down the side of. Did you see those pictures down yeah. the side of the ship to get to the life rafts? Well, what's interesting, and in, in, we should. I don't know. It's interesting to me that when you when you think about it, it looks horrific. In the daylight, you're like, you could throw a rock to shore. Right, right. Yeah, if it, it happened bizarre. in daylight, it would have been way less panicky because people would have been like, oh, we're right there. So worst comes to worst, I can swim to shore. But in mm-hmm. the middle of the night, yeah. you probably can't even <clears throat> see the shore. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are lights, but. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. scary. I think a lot of people are going to reconsider taking cruises lately. Sort of sounds or, like that's know. the news now because the industry is trying to soothe everyone's minds and be like, this, you know, this is one in a million. You know, this never happens. Uh, Don't get all stressed. But it's like, yeah, but it happened. Between <laughs> that and piracy and Legionnaire's disease. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Boats I used to like cruises. Up. I don't know. Maybe not. I, I still would love to I've go on a cruise. Been on one. Yeah, I, would, I, haven't, I haven't been on one either. Have you been on one? I've been on two. Two? Yeah. Would you go on another? Yeah, I yeah. would. I would. But that makes me think twice. Especially yeah. with kids, that would freak me out. Oh yeah, yeah. had small kids and trying to get them out of there. And all yeah. right, that yeah, image actually went through my head when I was looking at the boat sideways in the yeah. water. I'm, I'm imagining. I'm like, how do I 
how would I swim with just my legs while holding my son above the water away from the ship? That's exactly what I was picturing. <laughs> You'd have to swim on your back, put him on your chest, do the back pedal. And that could be Doggy fun, actually. Oh, now, now, I'm, now I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> All right. Prove me. That had so nothing to do with healthcare marketing or branding. Or the weather. The weather. Totally off topic. Well, we're not going to talk about the weather. Okay, so let's move on. We got some announcements. I'm actually going to read them at the beginning, not the end. First, we want to welcome a new client into the fold, Shawnee Mission Medical Center, which is out of Shawnee Mission, Kansas, which is basically Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Jackie and I have uh, started working with that group, uh, or at least we met with them. Nice group of people. And it was good to get back to Kansas City. Have you ever been there before? I hadn't, but I loved it. Yeah, it's a neat place. I used to go there in my youth. It was a destination. Back when you were a young buck? Yeah, when I lived in <laughs> Iowa, you, a lot of times you had to fly out of Kansas City if you want to get anywhere. Oh. Because Des Moines had no... Had airplanes back nothing. then? Ah, that's great. <laughs> uh, also, congratulations to our client Canvas Health, which has relaunched itself, uh, relaunched its brand on January 3rd. So it used to be uh, HSI, Human Services, Inc., Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a behavioral health system based in St. Paul, Minnesota, and we help them rebrand as Canvas Health. So new name, new identity, new website, uh, all kinds of good stuff. So congrats to them. Check out their website at canvashealth.org. Nice work by Adam and his team. Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, I am going to be back at the forum. I don't think it's called the forum anymore. God, what's it called? Get it straight, man. They changed the name of it. Well, we all know what, we're ta- what I'm talking Oh, there it is. Look, right there. The National Healthcare Marketing Strategy Summit, April 29 through May 1st in Orlando, Florida. I'm actually giving two presentations, doing a three-hour workshop on the first day on Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, and then speaking with my old pal, Chris Boyer. And we are co-presenting uh, a session called Breaking the Rules of Website Design. Cool. Yeah. So come check us out. And this is, this is preliminary yet, but I do believe that the ever-popular branding at the bar will be back after a smashing second appearance at Shushmid last year. Mm-hmm. I think it is a tradition that shall be ongoing. Or everyone will be heavily disappointed. Yes. Yes. We'll have people stamp, stampeding at our door. Do they do that? <laughs> Pounding at our door? I think they might have. It was pretty damn full at the last one. Yeah, yeah, there was no more room to get in. We need more people. If, if the fire marshal more. had been present, we would have been in arrested. Trouble. We would have been cited. Yes, we would have been cited for fun and hilarity <laughs> and trivia <laughs> and trivia. We're gonna have trivia again. Everybody loves the trivia. I know it works well. We will definitely have trivia. So brush up on your factoids. I think they like trivia, but I think they also like the prizes. The prizes are phenomenal, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be an iPad three by the end of April. Ah, true. Probably not released by then. I don't know. We'll have to come up with something. We've been doing the iPad. MacBook Air? <laughs> We're going to up it up? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A new car! <laughs> okay. So uh, let's move into it. Th- we got a bunch to cover, so we better get to it. <clears throat> First of all, uh, in our ongoing uh, New Year's resolution to become a valuable source for information on healthcare marketing and branding related to reform... Uh, I have poured over the latest issue of Healthcare Strategy Alert, which is a publication that's put out by the Forum for Healthcare Strategists, the same people that put on the conference that I just mentioned, the National Healthcare Marketing Strategy Summit. 
Uh, and so phenomenal publication. If you are not subscribing, you should. They always do a great job of providing uh, truly in-depth articles. Uh, I think you can subscribe at uh, healthcarestrategy.com, and we'll post that on the show notes. But the main uh, article this time is titled Transitioning to the Post-Reform World, The Marketer's Role. And essentially, it's a series of, it's kind of like a Q&A, though there's no Q. It's just an A <laughs> with a bunch of uh, senior healthcare marketers and experts. So uh, great insight from folks, some of the folks we know quite well, like Karen Corrigan or Mark Hansberry from Fairview, uh, other folks we've heard from or heard of, uh, like Ruth Colby, but definitely worth picking up. I just want to touch on a couple of the things that I pulled out of it. Uh, one is that uh, a number of folks talked about how there's kind of today's world and there's going to be the reform world and that the two won't necessarily, uh, you, you won't necessarily flip a switch and, you know, move from today to reform. You'll, you'll basically be working on dual tracks, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and this is how Karen Corrigan put it. Uh, Karen is the founder of Corrigan Partners. Most people know who she is. She's been around for a while. She knows so much about healthcare marketing. It's not really even fair. So her <laughs> <Funny>. quote is, <laughs> uh, this means that wait and see is not your best strategy. Healthcare organizations need to have a long-term and short-term balance in their perspective and actions, recognizing that they will have to operate on parallel tracks for some time during the transition. They will be operating with competing and often conflicting goals for many years, which is a little scary to think about. Agreed. But something you need to kind of balance. So that was one kind of concept that came through. Another was uh, a a couple of the folks talked about how we're going to be shifting from focusing on encounters to what they called lives. And we've heard this before. In fact, Dan Dunlop talked about this in one of his blog posts that we mentioned uh, that I refer to uh, frequently, where he talks about no longer are we just trying to you know get people to the turnstile. It's more about building relationships and managing those relationships, mm-hmm. which will change how we we need to market. Uh, and not that that's a hundred percent true. Again, none of this is black and white. A hundred percent, you know, this changes overnight. Right. Uh, but a couple of ways to think about that. This is from uh, oh. <clears throat> Peter Brumleave, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, Chief Strategy and Marketing Officer for Scott and White Healthcare in Temple, Texas. And this is kind of how he puts it. As we move from volume to value, marketers will be responsible for generating top-line revenue, but the approach will change. <clears throat> Historically, marketers have been responsible for driving volume of units of care, such as lab tests, visits, or imaging procedures. With value-based models such as shared savings or total cost of care models, the number of units doesn't matter. What matters is the total cost of care. So marketers will be accountable for driving unique patients, regardless of malady, rather than units. Okay, and then Mark Hansberry backs that up by saying, our job is no longer solely to increase volume in those areas, identify as being strategically or financially critical to the healthy organization. We also must grow the number of individuals who call Fairview Health Services home or who are attributed to Fairview through a commercial health plan. This means that marketing's role is not necessarily to grow the volume of visits, but to ensure that individuals are attached to those clinics from the plan's perspective so that Fairview can essentially garner lives within our shared savings construct. 
Those are some smart people. <laughs> some big words there by Mark. <laughs> yeah. But the idea of lives versus encounters, mm-hmm. um, very similar mentality to the payer side of things, members and lives as opposed to you know, individual encounters. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Makes you, can, sense. you can understand why insurance companies focus on it that way. And a lot of that you know, kind of brings us back to the idea that we talked about uh, a few episodes ago, episodes ago with that article from Susan Gosling, who talked about how things are going to shift from marketing and promotion to education. And I think, I think when we talk through that, um, again, none of this is black and white. It's not like it's going to be 100%. You know, it's all about right. education and keep people healthy. Um, but that theme is in here as well, the idea that uh, you're going to need to focus on how do you keep people out of the hospital. Uh, and, and it sounds, a lot of it sounds so similar to how we talk about wellness health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the reasoning behind it's a little different. We've been talking about health and wellness as a way to build your brand because you can stand out in the market. You can engage people with relevant content and also because you can drive them into the system when appropriate to help your business. Right. Um, in this context, I think it's being talked about more as so you can educate people so that they can stay healthy and <clears throat> not come into the system, but stay away from it. So, um, for example, Karen Corrigan says, the role marketers play in creating a better customer is important in another sense as well. If through education and awareness, marketers can influence customers to behave in ways that keep them healthier and use fewer resources, then they are affecting profitability. That's one of the reasons why CRM 3.0, which is a term I've never heard of, which goes beyond sorting patients by zip code to really understanding use patterns and what they mean to the organization is so important going forward. So again, I think it still brings up an interesting question, point that we brought up before. I mean, how much will marketers, um, when you think about the balance between education and growth, uh, and and growth, of course, is tied to profitability, but, uh, you know, what will that balance be of really focusing your resources on trying to keep people out of the hospital and educating them on the right. proper healthcare. Right. Practices. And it's kind of, a, I mean, part of that is really a shift from what traditional marketing is. I mean, marketing isn't defined as being educational at its core. I mean, that's not really, I mean, it's a component of it, I guess in many cases, but doesn't have to be education. It doesn't have to yeah, be right. So it's just kind of a. I don't know. It's going to take the right. It's not necessarily. I don't. I don't. I don't know that when I when I think about that scenario, if a of a, a marketing like a, a mind that's great at marketing is necessarily going to be the right fit for that role. Um, so it'll be interesting because I mean I just marketing in healthcare has always been kind of this loosey goosey weird thing. Like what is it? Who, who does it? How does it fit in? Um, if anything, maybe this gives it more definition and hopefully pulls it in the right direction. Cause I mean, it, it, but if anything gives it some definition, cause it's always kind of, at least in my, in my eyes, working in, a, in healthcare marketing, in a health system and working outside of it in this role. Um, it's always just been this, nebulous nebulous thing that or this this thing that people try to get their arms around but don't really know how to use it don't know what to do with it know they need it abuse it in many cases underutilize it in many cases it's just i don't know so if this can help give it some structure that i'm all for that 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the trick is marketing is classically defined. <clears throat> I was going to try to find an actual definition, but it's classically defined as the discipline that, that brings revenue to organization. Yeah. Right. And that's what it's there for. It's supposed to be a driver of revenue. Uh, and you could qualify that as, you know, it needs to be profitable revenue. But again, as soon as you say profitable, that's where the, it gets a little tricky because profit depends on cost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, marketing typically isn't responsible for the cost centers or the cost drivers in an organization, production or operations, uh, service, all of those things impact cost. Uh, <clears throat> marketers typically aren't charged with lowering costs in organization. They're charged with bringing the right people in to drive revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're saying Market that share, marketers, yeah. quote unquote, are going to have to be, you know, almost putting on the brake at the same time they're putting on the gas. Right. You know, you've got to bring in people, you got to bring in the right people, the profitable people, but at the same time, we're going to ask them to keep some of those people out and to educate them uh, in a way that should keep them away. So it's counter, yeah, it it's is. counter to what traditional marketing is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there's another, I don't know in what other uh, <laughs> industry World, where industry, that is, yeah. right. is, that's the right. dynamic. We have to think about that a little bit. And I, you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this in the past, but I've, I've thought even when working in marketing and health, like directly in a health system that I just, it always felt like m- the term marketing kind of got, a, has a negative, there's a negative connotations mm-hmm. with it. I mean, you could you tie things like telemarketing to that and just kind of sliminess and mass advertising and, you know, b- weird black hat tactics and things like that. So I, I have been in the mindset sure it didn't take me long working in healthcare in marketing to to think this department probably to to be as effective as it could be might this might be the wrong title for it you know it might deserve a different name so that people a don't look at it the wrong way and b hopefully start to use it in the way that it should be used and and you know to to your points with this uh, article i think that Hopefully, people start to use it the way it could be used. I mean, because like again, coming back to giving it some definition and some structure, it would be awesome to see this help define what healthcare marketing should be. Yeah. Well, this Point. is just going to throw another little wrench in it. It's just going to make <laughs> yeah. it more confusing, not less, is the way I would think about it. But so anyway, definitely recommend that you pick up the the copy of this publication um, or subscribe if you're not already subscribing. All right, next. Uh, Want to talk briefly about a blog post I just uh, published yesterday called Intramural versus Intramural Digital Strategies. So, I to me, Intramural versus Intramural <clears throat> was an instant, but I wonder how many people, Adam, you kind of commented on this. Um, I just harken back to high school and, and college, and I played basketball. So, if you were on the Intramural team, that was the, the t- people that couldn't make the varsity there was an intramural league in high school and obviously in college, there was a lot of them where you basically just played other people from the school. The intramural means you're going outside of the walls of wherever you're at. So outside the organization and you're playing other schools. Right. So as I was thinking about this, those terms kind of came up and, and where this came from was we've been getting, we've been having many conversations with clients, prospects, others around the idea of digital strategy. Mm hmm. Uh, and I got a great comment on this that we'll read um, at the end of this. But this is a good thing, right? I mean, we want people to shift to digital. We want people to get away from just the old school, traditional right. mass approach. 
Um, though you can use mass approaches in digital, which would just be even sillier. But, you know, we want them to move to more effective, more modern techniques. And I think what's happening is people are waking up to that fact in our world. Hospitals and health systems are going, crap, we haven't done anything with pay-per-click. Our social media is either not there or lame. Our website is bad. We have no mobile, whatever. And so they're like, we need a digital strategy. And they make a list of all the things that are digital whatever you can throw in there, like this big bucket. And they say, we need a digital strategy. And a lot of times what drives this, right, is we want to make sure that all these things are working together so that, you know, we're thinking about social media when we develop our website and that when we use pay-per-click, there's appropriate content. Maybe it's video on our website and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think from our perspective, hey, that's better than nothing, uh, but that's kind of an intramural view of digital, meaning you're only focusing in, inwardly on digital. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, digital should be thought of like any other strategy or tactic as part of the overall marketing mix, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, just like we would say, you shouldn't have a non-digital strategy right. where right. you think about the best way to use all the things that aren't digital. It's kind of equally odd that you would have a digital-only strategy, um, and so the post is mainly about you should be thinking intramural outside of digital. So how does how do my digital assets and tools and resources and channels support my seminar? Or how does the right. story that I'm going to get placed in the local paper through my PR efforts going to be supported by social media or something online that people can reference? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. If, I mean, how common do you think? I think it's actually quite common. The folks are thinking about it in intramural, meaning an inwardly focused way. Is that kind of your experience, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's inevitable um, because it's so foreign to so many people who are in these roles. It seems um, <clears throat> many of which, many of whom, don't even use the tools themselves. So these, like Facebook or Twitter, you know, pick your poison. Um, so they're just a, they're a mystery mm-hmm. to them. So it's kind of like. Anytime you're trying to embark onto something and trying to figure out how you're going to use something that's already this vague thing, this mystery, you feel like you need this, you feel like you need some kind of a foundation or some kind of a strategy to get started in it, to have a reason for doing it. Because right. you can't really see, you can't, you know, you get the, the blinders on them. You just can't see down the road. You don't know, you don't know what's ahead. Um, so I guess our advice in many cases is first, just use these tools a little bit. Maybe not organizationally, but personally. You know, if you don't even if you're not on any of these, get on there and try them. Doesn't mean you need to go on to Twitter and follow 500 people and start tweeting about things every day. Um, start a Facebook page. You know, you follow. You've, most likely, you've got some friends out there who are on it already. Follow them. Share some stuff. If, even if you don't share, listen to what go they're to saying. Pin interest. Pin, pin interest. <laughs> you start start something like Pinterest. You know, but. Just get out there and use some of these tools yourself so that they're not a mystery because that's going to help you understand how, how to integrate these into what you're doing. I mean, if you, if, you, if you develop a strategy and you still haven't used these things yourself, you're still not going to know what they are, how they work, why you're using it, period. Yeah. You're not going to, things are still going to be a mystery and the strategy itself is going to be mysterious, you know? So use these things. I think it's understandable why, like you said, Adam, why people just start making a laundry list of things. It's easy to categorize. It's easy to think about it that way. Mm-hmm. We would just really encourage people that they shouldn't think about digital just in, 
isolation right. from other things. Right. And when you think about it, I mean, some of the, some of the <clears throat> you know, RFP type stuff that we've seen where people have listed out the things that they want to do, a lot of times it's really a laundry list that kind of hits almost everything possible that you could do online. Um, and if you're really just getting into this space for the first time, that's probably not your best approach, at least not jumping, you know, feet first into all of these, into all of them, yeah. into all of these areas, um, whether it's, you know, really coming up with what a foundation of what you're going to do that's video based, that's online, you know, it may be for a year you kind of focus on that and maybe in some other things, but, um, don't expect to, unless you're going to hire, you know, 10 new people to help you do all this stuff. Don't expect to jump feet first into several online initiatives at once. Um, I don't think you're, I mean, if they're all mysterious to you, like we talked about a second ago, they're still going to be, you're not going to know what the hell's going on with any of them. You're not going to learn anything about any of them. Um, pick a couple, get into those and get into them, you know, pretty solidly so that you really understand what's going on. You understand how to measure them. You understand how they're impacting what you're doing, what your organization is doing. Uh, understand the stuff. That's the bottom line is, you know, don't, don't let these things remain a mystery. Well, I'm going to read a quote from, um, our old friend, Randy Bunker, who's at Optum Health. We've known Randy for a number of years and he's, he speaks to something that I think is, it's a dynamic that we see in so many places where, where digital marketing is a separate, it's like a silo. Yeah. So to our point, it's not integrated and it's, Healthcare is so weird like that. It's, it's, it's so weird to me that physician relations and marketing like talk twice a year. What, I <laughs> right. mean, if you're seriously doing marketing, whatever you're doing should be integrated with your physician relations and vice versa. Totally, yeah. Right? So how they operate independently of each other, which is typically the case, is so weird to me. Or the division between communications and marketing, which depending on how you define that, internal communications, I can see how that's different. Yeah. But communications like external versus mm-hmm. marketing, what I, I don't get it. And so digital marketing in so many organizations we've seen is a separate deal. And they may be doing things completely independently of what quote unquote marketing is doing. So here's what Randy says. As a team of one focused, I'm sorry, as a team of one focused on digital strategy, I am frequently asked, so what is your digital strategy? Did I read that right? <laughs> Let me start again. <laughs> As a team of one focused on digital strategy, I'm frequently asked, so what is your digital strategy? To which I want to reply, well, what is the marketing strategy? Right. And then in parentheses, he says, help me help you, a la Jerry Maguire. <laughs> well, I spent a lot of time thinking about the tools. I also spent a lot of time getting into other people's business so I know what their priorities are and how I can connect the dots and execute and extend the broader marketing plan in the digital scene. Surprisingly, it is still very separate, traditional marketing and digital. So we have to burn a few extra calories to do the legwork that not everyone instinctively does. It's more than just dropping a PDF on the website. We're, getting, we're all getting better, though. So he's talking about how surprisingly it's still very separate. Yeah. It, it is surprising, but it is... So true. It's, yeah, it's pretty common. Probably mm-hmm. more yeah. prevalent than not. And I think it's, at, at some level, it makes sense to have people that are focused on social media or focused on your website. That's fine. Because there are there are levels of expertise uh, in those kind of areas that make sense, just like it might you know have somebody focused just on media planning, but at a strategic level, at a planning level, they shouldn't be separate. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. All right. Finally, we told Adam we would give him some more time on this, um, and you touched on it last time, but you had a post, so maybe you can give us a little more insight. 
But it seems like there's a little bit of a backlash to the whole, hey, man, the Internet's cool and open and free, and we should all be sharing our vibes and our thoughts. People have a little bit of backlash on the comments section yeah. by the people who are seen as the... the Commentators? Well, not, not by the masses, but by those that, you know, maybe a year ago were saying, hey, you know, open media and everybody share. And now the, the people that are cre- <clears throat> creators, content creators are saying, well, and you're talking yeah. to an extent. A couple episodes ago, we talked a little bit about comment systems and, and specifically, right? Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> about oh, uh, personal accountability for what you say online versus an anonymity. <clears throat> um. Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't know if I have too much more to say. And it's kind of an ongoing debate. I don't, who knows when it really... I mean, it probably started when the internet started. Um, and it probably will never go away. Because I think there's always going to be people who think, you know, every forum or every outlet of communication should also be a forum for conversation, um, which I don't agree with. I think there are appropriate places for it and there are inappropriate places for it. Um, I think it's ridiculous for anyone to demand to have a voice on somebody else's communication channel. And some of this comes from some debate that was, that's been going on recently with some bloggers that I follow. Um, and blogger might even be the wrong term. Journalist might be the wrong term as well. Cause they would probably not categorize themselves as bloggerist. either. Bloggerist. A, a, a journalist. A jablogger. A jablogger. <laughs> there you go. Um, but just the people who don't embrace comments or who maybe have at one point in time, but shut them off because they were sick of moderating 90% of it was just crap. When you would get big ten percent of it would actually be useful debate or meaningless. The rest of it was either spam or people pushing their own crap, you know, right. in, in hopes to getting you know links back to their own yeah. content, that kind of thing. Um, but people just tired of saying, you know, people who built something great and had great things to say, like about something specific, just getting annoyed with that being an open platform. You know, something great that they built and other people thinking that they were entitled to a slice of it to come and talk about it so anyway and and you know a lot of times when we, we get into social media and talking about how you can get into you know whether you're blogging or using facebook or whatever or just listening to the to the social media space to see what people are saying about you um there's always that question about well, how, how do we respond to these things how do we you know do we allow for people to comment on this stuff if so how can we how do how do we talk back um but it, it's it's a you know, I, the answer is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just like it is with these, you know, the bloggers I follow, some enable them, some don't. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much more I have to say about it. It's kind of an interesting topic now too, especially in the scope of, you know, the, the debate that's going on now with, with, uh, uh, our politicians and SOPA and, um, just watching all that play out. Um, cause that's, I mean, that's all about freedom of speech for the most part and due process when people think you're violating you know what you what the government deems is appropriate i'm trying to get out like a balanced and a fair and balanced view on those things because i all i hear is the uproar and i <clears throat> you know it could be 100 percent retarded or that's the wrong word <laughs> sorry 100 percent, 100 percent ridiculous legislation i have no idea mm-hmm. um it is so, well. It, I mean, and this doesn't help, but a lot. You know, the analogy that I've heard that I thought was fairly, fairly good is is you know, a, a farmer doesn't use a nuclear bomb to take care of field mice. You know, you don't destroy the field in order to solve right. a little problem. And that's kind of what SOPA is. It's it's dropping a nuclear bomb on the internet so that the few places where there's copyright violation taking place, 
that that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Right. Or so that there, and it's not that it's not going to happen. It's still going to happen. There's going to be ways to circumvent the system. Um, but what it would do in the, in the, it, it would simultaneously, it would create this means of revoking rights from a lot of people or uh, what, what content they're offering that could be perfectly legit. Um, and because some industry thought that they were violating, vi- violating a copyright and it extends outside of the internet too. I mean, if, if laws like this were passed, it means, um, let's say Apple had some patent on something with one of their phones and all of a sudden they won a lawsuit that said Android was violating their patents. The, these, this legislation would allow at the airport for them to confiscate. So you came back in from some flight somewhere from out of the country and you've got some new device that violated a patent. They could take it away from you immediately. That's in the law or are you just making an analogy? No, that's an example of what this legislation could do taken to that end. I, don't, I wouldn't even say, I was about to say taken to an extreme, but I don't even think that's taken to an extreme. It's, it's all about protecting copyright holders. Right. Um, and what defines copyright these days is really, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, it's, it, in many cases, it's, it's protection for industries that re- refuse to evolve or refuse to adapt to new ways and new, and new technologies. Oh, we can't start this conversation well, at the end of the podcast. That's what I'm saying. This whole thing, at the end of a podcast. This is a yeah, whole yeah. show in and of itself. Yeah, it is. Um, but the dangers that it poses to typical internet users and small businesses who, who aren't violating or who right. are in some weird, loose way, um, you know, their own ideas, which are new and fresh, tread somehow into the waters of somebody else's tried and true methods of doing, you know, it's kind of like, it's just this weird gray area. That's it's hard to, it is hard to get your arms around. Certainly piracy and violations of copyrights in many areas is a problem Mm -hmm. um, that does need to be addressed. But like I said, you don't drop a nuclear bomb on the field to take care of the field. You know, you gotta, but it sounds like it's, it sounds like it's, it's, being watered down and i mean like i saw yesterday the two of the two of the sponsors or the two sponsors took their names off it i didn't read why or what they said there's a lot of people backing down from it now that there's so much pressure i mean which is which is inspiring because i mean it it does show you that the voice of the people can have an impact because a lot of times you feel kind of powerless when it comes to this stuff this is all there's nothing i can do about it oh totally totally obvious for the movie industry and probably the music industry drove itself right right i mean whatever legislators they have in their back pocket because they're you know funding their campaigns and they're idiots just watch the john stewart show watch the daily show (laughs) from thursday uh january 18th and you'll see you'll see the people that are in charge of deciding where this law um, like passes through yeah, the they don't even know what the internet is and they're just yeah they're literally it's a series of tubes kind of people yeah yeah and they're like, they're all saying like, we should bring in the nerds the nerds will tell us how this will work and i don't know how this i'm just a backcountry boy the head of the committee i'm just a backcountry boy yeah. i don't know how yeah they're like oh good glad you're deciding this yes yep that's scary that is so scary that's our democracy at work adam all right well, we'll leave it at that. We'll keep an eye on SOPA. Mm-hmm. Anything else? We broke our rule. We went well, maybe next week we can Did talk we? about some of the... Um, there's some cool Apple announcements today that we'll, yeah. we'll talk about whether or not that has some ramifications in healthcare, which yeah, certainly does it because it's all about being able to self-publish amazing content um, and make it available on a very affordable way and a very popular platform. Yeah. So, yeah, could have some could be some stuff to talk about. Yeah, new tool. Cool. All right. Well, for Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo, Jackie Ritacco, and Adam Meyer. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>